not that it's very possible to ignore, but that Robert Davi line that as he's walking off the stage and says, must be weird to be in a job where people don't come on you is one of the craziest things I've ever heard in a movie. I know with the movie, yeah, with the music underneath it. And- <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sincast presented by cinema sins. Alright everybody, welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Barrett Scher from CinemaSins. Hello! And today we're going to be interviewing Jeffrey McHale, who Yay! has uh, directed, produced, edited a documentary about showgirls and other Verhoeven movies called You Don't Know Me, as in N-O-M-I, Know Me Malone. Um, and the uh, first question I have to ask you is... Do you like Showgirls? Oh, I love sh- Oh, me? Yes. Yes, I, of course. I love Showgirls. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it's it's uh, a film like nothing else. I, you know, it, it's it's one of those those crazy artifacts uh, in, in our cinema history that that I don't think um, I don't think you could recreate. I think it's one of those unique unique things that um, it's special. Uh, it's been celebrated for the last twenty five years. Um, is it, you know, a good film? I think that that is clearly, you know, still up for debate, but, um, I think it's an entertaining film. I think it's, uh, it's spoken and it resonates with, you know, large groups of people and, you know, we're still talking about it now. So, I mean, it, it had to have done something right. Yeah. I know it sounds kind of like a weird question since you just made a documentary about it and everything, of course. But I, I feel like, uh, I feel like sometimes maybe you didn't go into this thinking that it was a, a good movie or fun movie or whatever, and then came out of it with a different opinion. And one of the things about this movie that I, that I really liked about You Don't Know Me is I've never looked at Showgirls in the way that some of these people have looked at it before. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Yeah. And so that was that was uh, something. Now that I watch it, um, I'm I'm looking I'm looking for stuff looking for stuff. How much of this was apparent to you when you first watched Showgirls? I mean, a lot of the the kind of uh, you know the 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 deep dive you know analysis that that I that I found in the the writing about Showgirls. I mean, that that kind of all glossed over me. Uh, for the first few years. I, I mean, you know, the first, uh, after watching it, you know, it, it, I just kind of appreciated for it, for its kind of um, badness in the way that um, how entertaining it was. And so I think it was just more uh, the experience of it and the absurdity of it and the uh, vulgarness of it and uh, everything that kind of kept me returning to it. And I think it was after, um, I was actually at the, the way, you know, this kind of started, I was actually at the 20th, 20th anniversary screening of Showgirls uh, that's featured at the end of You Don't Know Me, where Elizabeth Berkeley presents the film. I was one of those 4,000 people in, in the audience. Uh, oh, really? Wow. That night. Um, and so that was just such a, you know, it was a, a, a mind blowing thing because, you know, we have these, these outdoor film screenings in, in LA and, 
you know, we, I usually try to go to them, you know, a couple times a summer and occasionally you'll have uh, someone associated with the film show up and, you know, introduce a film or answer some questions afterwards. Um, but with, with this, I mean, none of us, you know, in our, in our group, ever even imagined that anybody would be there attending, you know, it just didn't even occur. So um, when, you know, she walked out, it just was like, I, I like to say it was like the closest thing I had to uh, a religious experience, you know, everyone just immediately <laughs> left to their feet and, and, you know, just this, this wave of gasps and, and, and um, emotion just kind of like went through the crowd and it was beautiful. It, w- it was just crazy to know that, you know, we were then going to experience showgirls with, uh, you know, Nomi Malone herself. Yeah, this is a great moment in, in the documentary because uh, one of the things that I think uh, a lot of people forget when they express their opinions about movies and, and, and they go really hard at something is the you know and and this sounds corny but the human beings behind it and everything Mm -hmm. nobody went into showgirls hoping that you know (laughs) they were going to be famous for these reasons Mm -hmm. um and there's so much you know there's so you you have this long line of of uh of of footage of, of people basically treating elizabeth berkeley like shit and then by the end of it, she's got that moment where 4,000 people are cheering her for this. Yeah. Move. And she makes that little gesture and everything and everybody goes yeah. wild. Oh, yeah. Gosh. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, I, and I don't think it's a, it's a necessarily a spoiler cause you know, it, it happened five years ago and people have discussed it, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful way to kind of wrap up the conversation that we just had. And I, I definitely wanted to, to start the film kind of analyzing it in, in, in looking at, the, the critiques and how brutal they were. And, you know, we, we start the, the film with, you know, this kind of nasty, you know, montage of, you know, everything that had been written about it. You know, uh, there's a terrible quote from Gene Siskel where he, you know, just critiques her looks and just kind of degrades her appearance and that, yeah. you know, just stings to this day. And so, um, you know, it was a joke. It was, it, I mean, people just made fun of it for years and years and years, but, you know, it, it, it did not take long for the, you know, the, the queer community, uh, the cult following to find it. And, you know, they were already embracing it at midnight screenings, you know, at, at that point, you know, it was about a year afterwards. Um, so it didn't take long for, you know, it to find its audience, but, you know, it definitely took about 20 years for um, kind of the critical world and, you know, the um, film, you know, film elites and, and, and scholars kind of revisit it and, you know, now talk about it differently. There's such a rewatchability to to Verhoeven's uh, films that I think leads to this, like naturally leads to this analysis. When I when I think about when Starship Troopers came out, it was marketed as just a slam bang action thriller, rah rah military type of thing, and a lot of people watched it like that, like my 17 year old self, and uh, and and it took in from what my experience was, it took years for people to realize the satire that was, that was endemic to it. Uh, same thing with total recall, same thing with RoboCop for sure. Uh, and, and for showgirls, you know, there's such, and, and you can throw basic instinct in here too. There's such salacious, salaciousness. So out there that it's hard to see past it to any sort of other content. Uh, you know, I, it honestly took me until a recent watch of this before I even knew about your documentary to 
get this movie to get Elizabeth Berkeley's performance that she's, she's doing this almost definitely before I even knew anything about this because Verhoeven is directing her to do this is asking her to do this. And the fact that she did go over the top and that far into it is actually impressive. And it's a weird thing to say because there is objectively suspect acting in this movie, but it's also, I could see where it came from. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's just something that Verhoeven has uh, naturally in his movies to where it invites more analysis uh, the more times that you watch these things, even for his pulpy things like Basic Instinct and Showgirls and his more violent stuff like RoboCop and Flesh and Blood and all that stuff. Uh, it's just fascinating that somebody takes a deep dive like you did into this Showgirls, and I appreciate it. Yeah, it was, you know, it, it, it's it's a bad movie from like the traditional sense of it, you know, and so I think when when it was easy to, you know, it was an easy target for a lot of people. Um, yeah. And it was obviously the things that stood out, you know, it, it's distracting, you know, the, the, the nudity, the, the vulgar language, I mean, everything, the, some of the, the, a lot of the choices made. And so I think that, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, those criticisms aren't, aren't valid because, you know, I do think they are, but, you know, I think what, what ended up happening was, you know, it, it succeeded in a unique way because of those failures, you know, and that's what makes it special and that's what makes it unique. And I really wanted to, to connect it to the rest of his films, because I think that's what makes it so interesting is that you have this director who had, you know, amazing success. I mean, he had just come off of, you know, uh, three blockbusters in a row. I mean, the, the way, you know, we, they made movies and we consume movies were very different from, um, from now and to have, to have that, um, and then to come, you know, have showgirls be, you know, your, your next project. And he kind of spent all of his kind of political Hollywood capital, you know, he, yeah. he got the blank check to make an NC 17 <laughs> film because he was so successful with his other endeavors. And, and he expressed a lot of, frustration with um the process of of cutting basic instinct down to an r rating and having to do that and so i think he went into he got mgm to sign off on an nc-17 film and so he kind of had like a a blank check you know you could say and him and joe esterhouse kind of knew they could do whatever they wanted with this this one and you know that probably led to you know some decisions that were made that you know uh, are very questionable, but I, yeah. I, 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 I it's to... like, I, we're going to do this because we can do this. <laughs> I mean, that's what it feels like sometimes, yeah. you know, I, I know that, you know, I hate to, to question all of his intentions, but you know, it, it, that's, that's the impression that it's, it's hard to kind of look past. And, um, I, I thought it was interesting to kind of connect it back to all of his other films because in the process of of doing this, when I first started, you know, after the screening um, uh, at Cinespia with the, you know, when Elizabeth came out and introduced the film, um, I kind of started to go back and, and I was curious and I started reading everything that had been written about showgirls. I mean, it wasn't a lot. Um, There was a couple books, you know, I found Adam Naiman's book. I found um, Jeffrey Conway's book of poems, which was, you know, kind of mind blowing, you know, I've re- reading all the reviews, you know, discovering the, the musical. 
Um, and, you know, I was just really fascinated by, you know, the, the various points of view about this, this kind of complicated artifact in our, in our, in our culture. And I thought like, oh, okay, well, if I'm going to do anything with this, I should definitely watch all of Verhoeven's other films. Um, cause I, you know, I'd only seen the American ones and that was like mind blowing because so many weird and strange things that, you know, we love about showgirls and that confuse people about showgirls and, and don't make, you know, a whole lot of sense in showgirls, like connect back to his earlier works, you know? And so I, I, I just wanted to find a way to kind of blend everything together and, and show that, you know, that showgirls is, you know, uniquely Verhoeven. It's Verhoeven at his purest, you know, I like to say. That's uh, something that I was going to bring up was the, the, this is, this documentary does something pretty unique and that it shows how his prior work uh, informs what you see in showgirls. Um, I, there's so many times it cuts back to an older movie where something exactly like what happened in showgirls happened in that movie. Um, and there's also, there's also moments, there's a moment where a critic is talking about how, how crazy this is. And I I think it cuts back to black book and, uh, and it's, and it's basically saying, why is it not salacious in this movie? But in this movie, it's completely salacious. And why are we having an opinion of a different opinion of how showgirls does it compared to what this movie does with it, which has been considered high art and uh, everything. Is that what you were going for there? Yeah. I mean, I, I wanted to, you know, I wanted to kind of create another uh, subplot where the Verhoeven characters in his other films were kind of interacting with my contributors and the experiences, their experiences and connecting them to, um, to showgirls. And so I, yeah, I wanted to find those, those moments in his other films where, you know, it, it, the outrageous things, the salacious things and, and kind of connect them back to the things that we see in showgirls that, you know, people, um, you know, kind of screamed at, you know, with their fiery torches. <laughs> so. Yeah. There are pretty, uh, there are pretty fun little sequences in here where you'll have, yeah people sitting down in the RoboCop lab and showgirls is on and yeah, (laughs) or the fourth uh, man with it in the background. Right. And you have, uh, you have uh, in basic instinct, you have Michael Douglas going to his computer and looking up Elizabeth Berkeley and finding 790 (laughs) matches and all that. Um, I I really do enjoy the, I I did enjoy those, uh, those little touches that you put in this. That was, yeah, those were kind of some of the fun, fun, fun ways to kind of have every, everything kind of interacting with, with each other and uh yeah thankfully that was something i was able to do um and yeah because that, that was that, that was you know kind of what people were really drawn to in some of the early cuts like the 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 candy i would say where you know the visual references where you know you could point to something specific on the scene or you know connect you know a little montage you know a little montage of you know other moments in verhoeven's films where you know a similar moment or a similar motif or um, would, would happen. So, you know, I, I kind of had to, you know, evenly sprinkle those out, you know, uh, throughout the film. So, uh, you, you mentioned the, the different cuts and everything. It seems like you did a little bit of everything in this film, uh, specifically things like the editing. Uh, is this kind of a, 
a, a, a thing that you enjoy or is this more of a chore for you, uh, the editing process? Because there's a lot of footage. There was a lot of assets that you had to combine in a in a certain way to make the, the narrative make sense and to make it a, a coherent story from from top to bottom. Is that something that you that you dig on or is that just something like you're like, all right, let's dive in and see what happens? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably a little bit of both. I mean, my <laughs> my I'm an editor by by trade, so my day job is a television editor, um, and okay. so I, um, you know, had been making movies ever since I was a kid. But you know, in the last ten years or so, um, just mainly focused on editing, and that's where I kind of thought I would would end up, and that's what I wanted to do, and that's the part that I really enjoyed uh, the most. And so it was for something like this. It was something that was very natural and, and I felt like I had to kind of figure it out myself. And I mean, I, I don't know, I definitely would have been able to afford myself or an editor like myself for the, the <laughs> amount of time that, you know, I, I put into it. So it was in the beginning, it was a fun, I mean, this is my first feature. Um, and I thought this would be a good project and a good kind of personal project that I could work on in the background and, and, and not really have, um, not set myself up for any expectations. So I, you know, I kept it pretty low profile on it, pretty quiet. I did, you know, I didn't really, really tell most of my friends, um, oh, wow. I just kind of work on it, um, on evenings and, um, in between diaper changes and, and, uh, <laughs> on, on weekends and stuff and just try to find, carve out time for it. And, um, and yeah, so I, I definitely enjoyed the editing process of it, but it was definitely one of the the things that was the most challenging at times because, you know, it, it, in the beginning, it was just trying to figure out like, how is this thing going to, um, going to play out? Um, each, I, I, I started by kind of editing each kind of theme or thread or scene, you know, as its own piece, you know, so I ha would have these, you know, maybe 15 or so moments or vignettes. Um, that I started working with. And then after those were done, um, then I would kind of start moving them around. And, and that's when kind of like the, the structure kind of started to take shape. So um, it was kind of figuring it out as I went along. Nice. <laughs> Did you try to get uh, interviews with cast and crew? No, no, I didn't set out uh, to make a behind the scenes or making of and, and, I did in the beginning, I, I wasn't sure if that was a route I was going to go down um, or was going to try to go down. But after reading everything and after uh, kind of consuming, you know, all the, the kind of showgirls afterlife, um, you know, the, the, the consuming all of that, that writing and that art and, uh, and speaking to those, you know, those, those artists, I, I, I knew that that's where, you know, where the story lived because ultimately uh, I kind of saw the cast and crew's job as, as done, you know, and, and with something like Showgirls, it, it's it's kind of more about how how it lives with us today than than you know, kind of their own personal take or their own personal experience. I mean, it was mm. important for me to kind of hear hear from them uh, through interviews that they've done over the years, just to kind of hear how things have shifted a little bit. Um, and it was interesting to hear how. They spoke about it at the time of its release, you know, before all the reviews. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I kind of saw this from the beginning as, you know, how this movie has lived and it's evolved. And, you know, I, I, I always kind of go back to, 
my contributor Haley Melodic, you know, she she said, you know, the reason we're still talking about showgirls is because we're not done with it, and I, and I think that, you know, I, I don't think we're done with it even after this this movie. You know, I, I don't, I don't, <laughs> It'll be I don't think renewed you know, we're interest. Figure it out anytime soon, and you know, ten years ago, I, I couldn't have made this movie, uh, and I think ten years from now in the future, I think you know, it would be a completely different you know conversation we're, we'll be having about it. So. Um, it's unique in that aspect. I was kind of glad that it wasn't cutting back to people like, you know, in a studio somewhere, uh, in a, with a plain background talking about the movie and everything. You just kind of let the voiceover do the work. Right. Yeah. Cause so much of what, what it is, is, you know, just seeing, seeing showgirls on, on the screen and then, you know, seeing his other films. I mean, they're so rich and beautiful and, and uh, I just did. And, and knowing what, what was done with room two, three, seven and, and Los Angeles place itself and, and films like that, I, I, I was really inspired and, and I, and it was a nice problem to have, you know, just, just to know like, Oh, I can't cut back to anything else. So it really made kind of, you just have to kind of reframe um, your thought process visually about how to kind of tackle each thing. And, you know, it, you just kind of, kind of, look beyond like, okay, well, I don't have anything to cover this, this spot. I'll just cut back to the person talking, but I I didn't have that. I didn't have that to fall back on. So Mm -hmm. um, there's another interesting omission to me in this. I'm not saying your documentary is incomplete. I'm just saying it's interesting when you start talking about a lot of the movies that this compares with like mommy dearest and Valley of the dolls, and uh, you mentioned Plan Nine from Outer Space, and and uh, these type of movies. The the room doesn't show up, and Birdemic doesn't show up. Was that a conscious decision? <clears throat> the room came up, and oh, I'm trying to remember who who it came up with. One of our contributors kind of mentioned the room, um, and that was in. Um, I had you know that that in a couple um, early early drafts um, where we talked about the room, but. Um, but ultimately I, I think that it's hard to kind of compare showgirls with something like the room because mm-hmm. they, 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 they kind of were created from two completely different systems and, and you know, uh, you know, an ind- a small independent, you know, production like the room, which, which is, you know, amazing and, 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 you know, uh, a wild ride, but, you know, it, it, it didn't come from a studio system. And so I think right. that that. You know, it's hard to kind of compare the two and, and the room has had, um, you know, a very similar afterlife or what, you know, w- what is looking like that, you know, people celebrate it, you know, midnight screens and stuff. And you have just this really, really, really loyal, uh, hardcore fan base, uh, who people who just love it. But, um, but with, with showgirls, I really wanted to kind of also connect it to, um, kind of the, the queer experience. And I thought that, um, you know, Mommy Dearest and Valley of the Dolls, uh, you know, with the Jeffrey Conway, my poet, uh, who wrote the the book of poems about showgirls, you know, kind of calls it the trilogy of camp. Uh, hmm. And I, I, I really, you know, kind of wanted to focus on on that that side of it. Um, and so because it's become such a part of, you know, our our culture and our, our lexicon, you know, over the last few, few years. Well, and it's also... You know, Verhoeven has this style, and I think this may be his showiest, no pun intended, showiest piece 
in terms of the scope, the cinematography, uh, what he's shooting, Las Vegas is so glamorous on its own. But the, uh, as you say in the documentary, the different uh, vignettes between the different shows. I mean, he films these as shows, so you can see the production values, even in the the auditions and even in the the rehearsals where, uh, you know, Patrick Bristow is telling her to thrust it and thrust it and all that stuff. Like, there's just, there's a lushness to it, uh, even with all that camp thrown in, that uh, that I think makes it stand out, even from those those trilogy of camp movies that you mentioned, uh, that makes it, like you said, wholly unique, uh, because he certainly went for it. Like you said, he if we can do it, we are going to do it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's. I mean, he's. Uh, he he's a, a talented and established filmmaker, so he he knows what he's doing. And then that was one of the interesting uh, things when I talked to uh, Barbara Schulgasser Parker. She she was one of the, the one of the only critics that I was able to kind of uh, convince to to do this because she. I wanted to find a critic who didn't uh, didn't review it positively back in the day and would still kind of come on and, and, and talk about it negatively now, or, you know, wanted to be a part of it. And she um, recognized the brilliance in, in her early reviews, you know, of his, you know, from the fourth man and, and uh, all of his early, you know, European films and saying like, so we know he's, we know he, he's smart. We know he knows, you know, how to make a good film, but this is just garbage. And, um, <laughs> but even, you know, even she, you know, to this day, she was like, I watched it again and it is very watchable. It's very watchable. I think that's why, you know, um, that was just such an interesting perspective. You know, she knew it wasn't something that you could just dismiss as, um, as, you know, kind of trash. She's like, I understand what makes it so watchable and I get that, but you know, I find it deeply problematic. Yeah. If this, if this movie is on in the background, you don't know anything about it. This is not just something that you ignore uh in the background <laughs> there's no way to do it if if it if the nudity doesn't get you then all the all of the like just out of out of the out of character reactions to things especially from Nomi herself in this i mean you know a lot is made of of her just out just just pulls a knife on the dude in the in the car and <laughs> and uh and like you know throws a bunch of fries all over the place saying different places um you know which by the way i thought that was a nice touch your llc is uh is a uh, different places um but uh but yeah you can't that's the th- i think that's the thing that people are kind of getting at with us right like it's not your average bad movie it's no i i love um i love watching it with people who haven't seen it before um over this past summer um i was with my my husband's family you know we go up to their uh to their family's lake in, in Indiana every every Fourth of July, and you know everyone was really excited about the documentary, and you know they were like, "Oh, should we watch it?" I was like, "Well, no, we should watch Showgirls because you'll see the documentary <laughs> at some point, and I, I'd rather kind of take them through uh, Showgirls." And so we we you know I hosted a screen for them, uh, a couple cousins and his parents, and you know my sisters in laws, and and it was just so funny, uh, just 
being with a group of people like that who had never seen the movie and everyone was like, what? What? My, my mother-in-law, my mother-in-law was like sitting on the couch kind of away from the TV because it was this small TV, like in the corner of the bar that we were watching it at. And she couldn't hear all the lines and she would be like, what did she just say? What did she just say? And I'd be like, I don't want to repeat these lines to her. Yeah. I'm, I can't imagine watching with my parents. No, there's no way I could watch this with my parents. That I mean, I'm glad also, I mean, not that it's not that it's not that it's very possible to ignore, but that Robert Davi line that as he's walking off the stage and says, must be weird to be in a job that where people don't come on you is one of the craziest things I've ever heard in a movie. I know with the movie, yeah, with the music underneath it and <laughs> you know, kind of like almost like fatherly, you know, um, you know I, you know, just like mom and dad are, are, are here. Just got to see my big show and, you know, I'm going to kind of, Send, send me off back to, you know, the dorms. <laughs> <laughs> the, so you weird. mentioned in this documentary though, and, and this is what I, this is what I like about this is the, it, while there is some great appreciation for this movie, you also do bring up some of the social problems that this movie has. Um, one of them is that uh, black characters in this movie are meant to service the main character and, and deify them essentially. And the other one is the sexual violence problem. A, a scene that comes out of nowhere uh, in the movie. And even when there's a so-called redemption, it's not even a redemption by the character that the pro that the sexual violence happened to. Um, what do you, what do you say about Verhoeven's like, uh, his body of work and does this is this something that is just a flat out mistake or is it just something that's par for the course for him well i think you know i i thought it was interesting to kind of go back and and look at showgirls through that lens but i don't think you know when, when it comes to race i, I you know the, the the racial issues that that kind of pop up in it i don't think that showgirls or Verhoeven is somehow, you know, unique in, in, in that sense. I, I think if you go back right. and look at a lot of the movies uh, and, and television that were, you know, that came out uh, in that time or earlier, you know, we could probably, you know, we'd be shocked to, to, to see like the, the images and, you know, and how they're portrayed. And so I think that, you know, we can, we can only kind of learn and, and take those, those mistakes and, and kind of go forward with them. But, I, but with, when it comes to, the the sexual violence aspect of it the the thing that was that stood out for me was just the repetition and the uh how much it popped up in all of his films and so oh, yeah. that mm -hmm. was, was really shocking and and i i, I you know i didn't want to make any kind of like direct accusations or or, or how you know how it's used. I mean, yeah, I mean, you, you, it's, it's very easy to see when you watch it, you know, uh, you can see how, um, how problematic it is. And so I, I wanted to point it out and I wanted to then use it as a way to kind of talk about, uh, showgirls specifically. And, um, I thought that it was the thing that 
people like to point to, um, and at least, you know, even myself, it's like, you know, you look at that revenge scene at the end and, you know, when you watch it with a, with, with an audience, I mean, people are cheering and they're howling, you know, like this is, you know, like it's such this, this great empowering moment. And, you know, I really appreciated um, the commentary of, about that saying, you know, saying Haley's commentary saying, you know, well, this is, you know, held up to be, you know, the, this, this justice. And this only shows that, you know, women, you know, don't have any justice if, if you know, putting out violence and, you know, you know, delivering pain is the only way that, you know, Nomi and can get justice for her friend Molly, then that's, mm. you know, that's, that's a failure. And so, um, so I really, really kind of appreciated that take on it, you know, cause then that, that, that you can, you can take that and apply it to, you know, similar scenes in other films, you know, um, sure. and just look, look how, uh, violence is being used. So, yeah, I, th- there's something really odd about that scene to me. The sequence of events is that uh, is that Molly goes in and the singer is like, you know, I'm going to have my two bodyguards in on this. But when Nomi does the big fantasy retribution scene, those two bodyguards are just kept outside, and you know they don't they don't get to get on get on this because it's a fantasy. It's a revenge fantasy. Um, if they were allowed in on this scene, then, then it wouldn't happen nearly like this. Um, it's just a weird sequence, uh, overall. Yeah. One thing that it leads to though, you also, uh, one of the things about this documentary that's also unique is how, uh, sort of a, a new industry has popped up out of it. You have, um, you have this one show that sprung up, uh, it's a showgirls musical, um, and you have another one. Is it just a, is it just a drag show that, uh, you have, uh, this peaches Christ, which I love that name. I love that stage uh-huh. name. Uh, you have the peaches Christ, uh, uh, it was his real name is Joshua Grinnell. Yes. Yeah. 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 That's it. Um, he, he does that, uh, he does that show. And then you have Showgirls the musical, which has April Kidwell, who's sort of a doppelganger for Elizabeth mm-hmm. Berkeley. Um, what it what was it like exploring that that area of showgirls yeah i mean that is kind of where showgirls has has lives you know is within those those communities and those performances so um you know joshua um you know who's peaches christ um is you know an iconic san francisco drag queen um and she started hosting midnight film screenings back in 1996 um, and the first, uh, the first film they did, I think it was, she said it was Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. And then the second one was Showgirls. And, oh, wow. And so <laughs> and what, what, what she does was she would introduce the film, but then host, you know, do kind of some sort of recreation um, in the movie, uh, a scene from the movie with, um, you know, with other San Francisco drag queens, and then they would play the movie afterwards. So it wouldn't be like a full recreation, but it would just kind of prime the audience for uh, the experience. And so I think it was just a fun way for for them to to kind of celebrate the films that they love, the characters they love, and find find ways, you know, fun ways to kind of perform and and, and um, experience those with audiences. And so that had been kind of a, a 
really long running series. I think she actually ended Showgirls about five years ago, just because that was the one movie that they would do every year, you know, in addition to, you know, other camp and, and, and cult favorites, you know, like Drop Dead Gorgeous, you know, Sister <laughs> Act. Oh, yeah. Nice. You know, um, just, I mean, you name it, you know, you, you name it. And they've, they've probably screened it and, you know, recreated it on, on the stage. But, um, but yeah, I know that she ended it uh, about five years ago, just because, you know, like give it a break for a little bit. Um, and then the, the musical um, was going on in New York. It was an off-Broadway musical um, by Bob and Tobley McSpit, who had um, made lots of musicals about, you know, kind of like pop cultural shows, you know, kind of taking a show or a movie and, and kind of, um, making an original um, musical about it that they previously they started with um, I don't know if it was their first one but they before they did Showgirls that they did Saved by the Bell the musical and that's where they, oh is that uh, where that that footage came yeah, from yeah that's where they met um, April Kidwell um, oh. and, as you know, Elizabeth Berkeley and or played Jesse Spano and then after you know doing that they were like well we we met April now we have to. Uh, do something else with her. Why don't we just do Showgirls? So that was, you know, they basically just made Showgirls because, you know, they they wanted to do another musical with her, and so she. Um, and then, she, then, then, you know, more recently, um, they did a West Coast production of that with Peaches Christ. So April Kidwell and Peaches Christ did the kind of San Francisco run of Showgirls musical more recently, and then she took that um, and turned it into her own one woman show. Um, and was touring that around the time that we, uh, the, our, our festival run called I Know Me, where she took um, Showgirls, her character, Nomi Malone from Showgirls, and blended it with I, Tanya, and basically did. <laughs> it, was, it was, it's brilliant. It's, uh, you know, just a wild, wild performance um, where she plays, you know, what's supposed to be Nomi Malone's mom, but it's like, Tanya Harding's mom, you know, in, in the movie <laughs> Tanya Harding, and so it's this, this strange kind of prequel, um, sequel of uh, of of her journey. So, um, yeah, it's just interesting how it, it inspires all these kind of little creations, um, uh, and and probably will continue. Well, and Peaches even says she says uh, that uh, she wanted that show to be as dirty as possible, and. And like with yeah, people coming out and doing lap dances with people oh, yeah. who got large popcorns. <laughs> and they started to do was yeah, anybody who bought a large popcorn would get a free lap dance, and they basically would would recruit you know these disgusting San Francisco drag queens to then you know go around the crowd and start giving the audience lap dances before the film, and so you know people would hold up their large popcorns in the air and <laughs> right over there, right over there. And, you know, I mean, I, I, it was funny because, you know, I had the interviews uh, with Peaches where, you know, she would describe these, these screenings and, you know, I saw photos, but they weren't really, I mean, they, they were cool, but um, I then went to San Francisco um, and worked with her, uh, her manager, you know, her production manager. And he, uh, kind of dug out this box in the back of his his storage, you know, his closet where it had like old VHS tapes, and so it was there where you know I got some of the old footage of of these these screenings and performances, and that was just like oh, just you know, made everything come together. 
I um I've discussed this with people before about what makes camp and you and your and your movie sort of discusses this uh throughout. It's trying to it's trying to come up with an answer. Uh the answers that are 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 presented in the movie are the ones that I think uh where camp comes from and it has to be where you and everybody that you uh, work with think that you are making a serious movie and do not recognize how bad it is. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it takes, it takes a lot of, it takes a lot, it takes a lot of basically uh, bad stuff, but uh, plus um, just no, no awareness. The easy, yeah. The easy thing, cause it's really, it's, Camp is kind of a hard thing to kind of define because every it seems like every person kind of has their own definition of what camp is. Um, I don't know if you guys remember was it last year with the Met Gala, um, the big costume uh, ball out in New York. Their their theme was camp, and you know these celebrities would come with these costumes, you know. Um, mm-hmm and everything and then there was this debate online about oh is this a is this camp is this not camp you know on a, a, a for a gala that was the theme was camp and people were debating whether this was a success or a failure and i think you know it, it's it's one of those things that's really hard to define but um what i kind of kept going back to was kind of the classic susan sontag uh wrote an essay um years ago um it was called the notes on camp. And that was kind of what people kind of use to refer back to, you know, how to define what, what camp is. And the easiest way to kind of summarize it is just failed seriousness, you know? And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, once you, once you, once you're able to identify that and see that, then, then, then I think you, 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 you might be in the presence of camp. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the big interesting things to me uh, about this is, is watching what, Verhoeven and and Esther House thought of this movie when it came out as compared to uh, what they feel about it now because it feels almost like they've bought in now they've been mm-hmm. con- they've they've become converts mm-hmm. um, and I think that's a really interesting aspect of this documentary. Yeah, and his uh, his more recent interviews, you know, he he kind of started to, I, I felt like kind of dipped back into a little bit of the, you know, some of the early, the way he talked about it, you know, on its original release. And so I think it's, 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 it's interesting just to hear the way that they talk about it and, and how they kind of defend it and where their, their thoughts are with it. And I, I, I love that little moment in, in the documentary where he's asked about it in, in 2016 and he's, you know, kind of comparing it to, um, German paintings of the twenties and thirties and, you know, people, people <laughs> just didn't, didn't get, didn't get it at the time. It's everything is exaggerated and over the top. And so he's saying like, yes, that was intended that way. I intended it to be over the top, but I was trying to, you know, mimic these, you know, um, expressionistic paintings. And, and then, you know, he's like, so maybe people didn't get it at the time. And then, you know, he's at, um, uh, a, a, a film festival or, you know, there's an audience there and you can just hear the silence, you know? Um, and then he says <laughs> to the, the moderator, he's like, Oh, what? You don't believe me. He's like, well, I invented it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and even with like in, in our, our screenings, it's like, you get like a little bit of a chuckle 
you know, or there is silence, you know, um, after after those statements, and then you know everybody laughs. So I mean, he it just there shows some, some awareness. I mean, he he gets that, like you know, oh, people might not believe me anyway. Well, whatever I say, I can say whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. It's it's pretty similar to what I've seen from from people like Tommy Wiseau who who have basically it's it's so ingrained into the marketing for what that movie is now it it makes it you know he he's he's free to now say well I meant to do make this as a comedy all along and I'm glad everybody's enjoying it as it is and it's not a piece of forgotten you know, film lore. It's not something that just came out and, and left. Now people are really enjoying it. So I'm just going to be on board with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's what, when, you know, Paul Verhoeven accepted his Razzie, that was the thing he he said. It's like, well, I'd rather people be talking about it than for it to, you know, die on some video shelf. So right. yeah. Uh, yeah. he knew he was... that, you know, that he was the first director to, to do that in person. And, um, you know, so that shows also like a, a level of like an awareness and commitment. And he knew like, okay, well, I, I'm going to want my work celebrated regardless of the way it's being celebrated, you know, whether that, regardless of how it's celebrated. So um, I think he appreciates, you know, the afterlife of, you know, the film. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I don't think we've spoiled your documentary too much. I hope I, I hope we haven't. Um, no. I, I think that there is a lot still uh unexplored and i and i think we can just we i mean i'm, I'm gonna let barrett's got more questions obviously I'm, I'm not ending it or anything i'm just saying that uh, there are a lot of things about this that will make you appreciate this movie more so i don't want to make people think that we've gone through the entire documentary here oh for sure for sure and we can wrap it up soon but i do want to get your thoughts on how you think elizabeth berkeley has viewed this in contrast to uh, Verhoeven and uh, Astor House and everybody. Uh, it seems like from the footage that that you were showing, either right after the movie came out, ten years down the road, twenty years down the road, and then at the uh, Hollywood Forever screening, it seems like she's been a staunch defender. Like she's she's held to her guns. Like this is the right part for me at the time. This was a challenging role to me at the time. It had to do with dancing, which I had a lot of familiarity with. It broke me out of the Saved by the Bell character. And she seems genuinely appreciative of this movie, according to the footage that I see in this documentary. Do you think that she has changed her opinion over time? Do you think that she views it as a camp classic? Do you think she's as wishy-washy as, as Verhoeven? Or do you think that she she stands by this just as it is? Yeah, I mean, definitely. I think that she, I mean, if you follow her on um, Twitter or Instagram, you know, she's always, you know, if there's a Versace reference, you know, she, she will throw <laughs> that out there. So I think she um, was early to understand that, you know, the film had had this following and she appreciated that, that following. And she, I think she was happy that it did find its audience and, um you know, she she has an experience and a relationship with the film that is, you know, kind of truly unique and, you know, I'm sure caused her much pain at the time. But, you know, it, it but her performance is what people love about it. It's what people return sure. to. It's what, what people celebrate. You know, it would not you you the film would not be the same without her. So, you know, it, you know, back back in the day when people 
you know, might've said like it was miscast or, you know, she was terrible. It's like, well, okay. Like I, I understand your point. Yes. You know, you could have cast somebody else, but uh, would we still be talking about it now? <laughs> if, you know, if Charlize Theron was in it, like she was rumored to be, or, you know, um, so I, I think it's just one of those kind of magical um, all everything kind of aligned, um, you know, in this strange way to create this really interesting uh, film uh, that's just become kind of an interesting part of our culture, you know, um, and mm. it's still controversial. It's still, you know, up for debate. I, I, I'm excited to see what people think of, of the documentary and people f- to discover showgirls for the first time, you know, uh, younger generations and, you know, just to see what they think of the film and just, you know, cause the, the, the conversation is going to keep going, you know, it's not, it's not the type of movie where, you know, everyone's going to just kind of clap their hands and be like, okay, we've, we've, we figured this out. Done with we, that. You know, yeah, yeah. I honestly do not think there, there's no way this movie would be talked about if Charlie Theron was in it. Like, <laughs> like the, 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 the idea that, uh, that, that somebody from saved by the bell, this just sweet, innocent, pure Saturday morning, uh, soap opera comedy thing, uh, got an alum from that to be in this movie. Um, the, and, and the fact that I, I love the comparisons too, by, uh, between this and Jesse Spano, by the way, I, mm-hmm. I love all of that stuff that you throw in here. Um, I mean, if you put Charlize Theron in this movie, it's, I don't think she would have trusted Verhoeven to, if he said, go, go all out. I don't think, you know, I love her as an actress, but I do not think that she would have gone all out on this. Commitment and the physicality. I mean, it's just, she throws everything into it. I mean, who are the, I think it was, I read somewhere it was like Drew Barrymore maybe was also rumored. And then like Madonna, I think was for the, for the crystal wow. for the crystal part. And, you know, it's just like, you, 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 you know, it's interesting to see these like, Oh, what ifs, you know, yeah, scenarios, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's like, no, no, we, 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 we have, we have, you know, the, the, the jewel in front of us. I'm so glad that it, you know, it, it turned out the way it did. This is coming out, this beautiful movie, this documentary, You Don't Know Me, N-O-M-I as in Know Me Malone, uh, is coming out on digital and VOD on June 9th, correct? Yes, correct. And it is absolutely delightful. Uh, Chris and I have, have watched it uh, and, and we loved it. Um, I am a big supporter of this movie, the Showgirls, um, for, for a while now. And uh, so this hit me right in the feels. And uh, I, I enjoyed every minute of it. And I really appreciate you not only making it, but also coming on to talk to us for a, a long time about your experience with it to give us more of a context. Thank you. Yeah, I really appreciate the conversation. You guys were awesome. We'd like to thank Jeffrey McHale for coming on to the Sincast. Um, yeah. uh, if you've got any uh, comments, go to or do we are we do we put these on Facebook, Barrett? I, I don't think we've yes. ever had one. No, we will Yeah, we'll put them on all the regular. Okay, uh, so yeah, Sincast presented by CinemaSins on Facebook. Uh, comment on this. Uh, you can also go to CinemaSins Twitter, Music Video Sins Twitter, and uh, we have a, a SoundCloud and Discord. Uh, but once again, we'd like to thank Jeffrey McHale, the director of uh, You Don't Know Me, coming out on June 9th. Uh, appreciate your your time. Thank you. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that'll do it uh, for this interview. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit CinemaSins.com.